and our second revelating reading is from the book of Revelation, um, starting in chapter 6, verses 1 to 6, 17, and then jumping to chapter 8. I watched as the Lamb opened the first of the seven seals. Then I heard one of the four living creatures say in a voice like thunder, Come. I looked, and there before me was a white horse. Its rider held a bow, and he was given a crown, and he rode out as a conqueror bent on conquest. When the Lamb opened the second seal, I heard the second living creature say, Come. Then another horse came out, a fiery red one. Its rider was given power to take peace from the earth and to make people kill each other. To him was given a large sword. When the lamb opened the third seal, I heard the third living creature say, Come. I looked, and there before me was a black horse. Its rider was holding a pair of scales in his hand. Then I heard what sounded like a voice among the four living creatures saying, Two pounds of wheat for a day's wages and six pounds of barley for a day's wages and do not damage the oil and the wine. When the lamb opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth living creature say, Come. I looked and there before me was a pale horse. Its rider was named Death and Hades was following close behind him. They were given power over a fourth of the earth to kill by sword, famine and plague and by the wild beasts of the earth. When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar of the souls of those who had been slain because of the word of God and the testimony they had maintained. They called out in a loud voice, How long, sovereign God, holy and true, until you judge the inhabitants of the earth and avenge our blood? Then each of them was given a white robe, and they were told to wait a little longer until the full number of their fellow servants, their brothers and sisters, were killed just as they had been. I watched as he opened the sixth seal. There was a great earthquake. The sun turned black like sackcloth made of goat hair and the whole moon turned blood red. And the stars in the sky fell to earth as figs dropped from a fig tree when shaken by a strong wind. The heavens receded like a scroll being rolled up and every mountain and island was removed from its place. Then the kings of the earth, the princes, the generals, the rich, the mighty, and everyone else, both slave and free, hid in caves and among the rocks of the mountains. They called to the rocks and the mountains, fall on us and hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of their wrath has come, and who can withstand it? And then we pick up the story with the seventh seal in chapter 8, reading verses 1 to 5. When he opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about half an hour. And I saw the seven angels who stand before God, and seven trumpets were given to them. Another angel, who had a golden censer, came and stood at the altar. He was given much incense to offer, with the prayers of all God's people, on the golden altar in front of the throne. The smoke of the incense, together with the prayers of God's people, went up before God from the angel's hand. Then the angel took the censer, filled it with fire from the altar, and hurled it on the earth. And there came peals of thunder, rumblings, flashes of lightning, and an earthquake. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
Thanks, Saskia, for reading for us. I wonder if you've ever had an experience like this. A few years ago, I was in the middle of a long haul flight back from, uh, I think, from the US or from the UK. And I got up to go to the bathroom and I came back and I caught a glimpse of something on someone else's TV. Those little seven inch TVs in the back of the headrest. Someone was watching a cartoon, or at least it looked like a cartoon. And then suddenly the cartoon uh, morphed into uh, a scene where it was interacting with actual people on a beach. Uh, the cartoon was vaguely recognisable um, as a kid's cartoon, um, SpongeBob SquarePants. But then there were all sorts of other weird things happening which seemed far more adult-like. Uh, there were things that just looked like they couldn't be in a kid's cartoon. And in my quite sleep-deprived state and the middle of a long-haul flight, I put my eye mask back on and went back to sleep. Or at least I tried to. Because what my brain was trying to do, instead of trying to sleep in the middle of the flight, it was trying to make sense of the bizarre and really quite odd images that, that I'd seen. Uh, cartoon, uh, people on a beach, pirates. I had no idea what was going on whatsoever. But my brain was intent on trying to figure it out, on trying to work out what was happening on trying to piece things together. And I swear I had the worst night of sleep, or the worst section of sleep I've ever had as my brain tried to figure out what was going on. I think sometimes when we read passages like this, it can be a little bit like that, like a, bit, a little bit like uh, our brains, and, and for that matter, John, John, as he's writing down this vision, trying to work out what's happening, what's, what's going on here, what's happening uh, with these seals, with trumpets, with um, martyrs calling out from under the throne. Uh, there's fire, there's brimstone, there's a, the abyss in a, in a little bit later on. There's tribes that are being sealed. What are even these seals all about? What's this scroll all about? And so our minds go into overdrive and trying to figure out what the story is, what the narrative is that is happening. Now, that's, shouldn't, we shouldn't find that unusual at all. Uh, we live in a storied world. We live in a world where we make narratives, where we make uh, stories to tell uh, others about what we do, but also stories that help us understand the world. And we tell stories about our, our past, how we are part of a society, how we uh, have got to where we are now, but also we tell dreams about, uh, stories about uh, the future, what we would like to be, how we would like to, to see our society uh, go forth. Uh, at the moment, I, I suspect most of us here in Melbourne are telling stories about what we would like to be doing after September the 13th, uh, in two weeks time, when uh, the, the scheduled end of our lockdown uh, occurs. We tell stories about that because that's how we make sense of the world. And so as we dive into to Revelation, I think it's, it's critical for us to, to realise that this is a storied world that we're living in. Uh, and, it's a, and this narrative that we have here is a, is a story that we're going to struggle to make sense of because we don't necessarily have all the information about it. It's a little bit like that vision of SpongeBob on a beach. I still don't know what that was all about. But it tells us a, a bit and we need to be careful and we need to be uh, 
precise in the way that we build the story, the way that we try and understand that story. So as we dive in, uh, let me pray for us uh, that we may be able to have some of that insight. Uh, Father God, I thank you uh, for your word. I thank you uh, even and especially for the bits that are hard to understand, uh, for the parts which we uh, struggle because we don't have the cultural experience or uh, they are written in times which are so far away from ours or so different from ours. But Lord, please give us the insight, uh, give us the understanding. Speak through your spirit to your people. Uh, speak through your, uh, through your spirit through me uh, that we may understand more of what you have to say for us and to us. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're going to be diving into uh, this portion of Revelation, uh, the section of seven seals, uh, which was read for us. And then also we're going to be touching on the seven trumpets, which come afterwards uh, in, the, in chapter eight and nine. Um, we're going to be looking mainly at the seals and the trumpets uh, this morning because the, the section in the middle on, on the martyrs uh, links into the next section on what the, what's happening with the church uh, in the, the little scroll and the angel from uh, 10 and 11. So John will be covering a lot more of that next week. We're going to be looking at the big picture of what's happening here in, in the sevens. Now, Pete last week and, uh, talked about our earlier patterns of sevens and fours uh, that we have going on uh, throughout the book. Uh, there's seven, seven letters, there's four angels, um, four corners of the earth. And none of these by now should surprise us that this is just continuing on here. We get a new round of sevens and fours and other um, various numbers, 144,000, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and it begins with seven seals being opened, or, or actually more precisely, six seals being opened because the seventh is held off for a little while. We get to get a picture of what John is, not just what John knows, but what John is experiencing. Uh, he is watching, he hears, he looks. We're trying to get inside John's head as he tries to figure out what his vision is all about. And it's confusing. It's absolutely confusing. But let's try and make a little bit of sense of it. We seem to have here in a broad picture, we seem to have a four plus one plus one plus intermission and then a final pattern. So we get four seals, and then the fifth seal and the sixth seal, which then has this intermission bit uh, and John gets to see other things and, and experience other things. And then we get a final seal. And same with the trumpets, we get four trumpets then a fifth trumpet, which is a different type, a sixth trumpet with then an intermission, and then the seventh trumpet. And so we're going to have a look at those uh, now. So first of all, uh, these first four uh, seals get opened. We have four horses. And, and for anyone in the ancient world, this probably wouldn't have been so weird. Uh, the imagery of horses going out over the world, um, it comes up in Zechariah 1 and um, again in Zechariah 6. Uh, the notion of four uh, and the totality of that, the four empires of Daniel, uh, the four empires of, of, uh, that we see in, um, in Zechariah and Zephaniah, these things and shouldn't really surprise anyone in the ancient world. And, we, and they are given power, crowns, conquest, scales, all sorts of things. And 
we can roughly see them as four different categories of horses or horsemen, horse people, uh, riders. Conquest is, is the first. We see the first one come out. It's rider held a bow and he was given a crown. He rode out as a conqueror belt bent on conquest. The second comes out as a fiery red horse and is given power to take peace from the earth, make people kill each other. This is roughly war. The sixth, uh, so the, the third comes out and, and he's given uh, a pair of scales to measure up everything. And all of the imagery that comes out on that, from that black horse is food imagery. Two pounds of wheat, six pounds of barley. Do not damage the oil or the wine. This is likely an image of famine, of things being removed from the earth. And the, the fourth horse needs no introduction. In fact, John just calls him death and Hades is following close behind him. These are the images that we get given of the four horsemen, the totality of what is happening uh, in this period that John is looking at. Conquest, war, famine, death. They seem to be the e everlasting uh, things that happen in our world. Uh, there's no period of history that we can look at where these things have not had their impact, that have not had their place. And so we, then we get the fifth seal, which comes so quickly after the fourth. But here it is a, of a different kind. It is not a horseman being unleashed on the earth. It is not something which even happens on the earth itself, but it is a peek behind the curtain. It is a bit like Dorothy's or, or more realistically, Toto pulling back that curtain uh, in The Wizard of Oz so that they get uh, the, the troop get to see the, the great and powerful wizard, which is actually just an old man pulling some levers. This is a peek behind the cosmic curtain here, but we don't see an old man pulling levers. We see the souls of those who have been slain, the martyrs crying out for justice. This is the vision behind the cosmic curtain. The fifth seal and the, and the fifth in the pattern gives an image of what is happening behind everything that we've, that we've already seen. But as soon as we get this image and each, to each one is given a white robe and we'll come back to the white robe in a little bit, we suddenly get the sixth seal. It's almost like uh, John can't wait to expand on, on some of the, these images. He just wants to, he, like the, the, the vision keeps going and he starts with the sixth seal. The sixth seal uh, is a great earthquake. Sun turns black, it's a cosmic disaster. The, st the stars in the sky fell to earth as figs drop from a fig tree and when shaken by a strong wind. I think even now, as uh, there's a strong wind outside uh, and uh, from last Thursday night, I think we all know what that feels like. This is the, a, an image of even the, the, the normal pattern, the normal uh, weather patterns of, of the earth uh, being thrown against the earth. And so the result is all the kings, uh, all those who are rich and mighty, and actually just everyone, slave and free, uh, they hide in caves amongst the rocks of the mountains and call out for, um, for the rocks and the mountains to hide them. But then John has this interlude, this, this uh, long interlude of the four angels standing at the four corners of the earth, but holding back the four winds of the earth. 
And we'll, we'll come back to that in a minute because I want to jump for us uh, to the seventh seal because it comes in, in logical conclusion and then we'll look at the trumpets and then we'll come back into that middle section. So immediately after um, we get this, uh, this series of cosmic disasters in the seals anyway, uh, we get a vision of the end. The seventh seal uh, in 8.1, uh, the, the lamb opens the seventh seal and there is silence in heaven for about half an hour. This is one of the few times in the book of Revelation where we get a stop in action, a stop in uh, noise, and actually a time, a chronology that there's half, about half an hour. This isn't a, a repeated sudden next, next seal, next seal, next seal. This is a pause. And it is a symbol of the end. But then if this was a symbol of the end, surely we would jump straight to something more like Revelation 19, the judgment that is occurring. So John doesn't jump for us there immediately. Instead, we, we get a new set of seven, seven trumpets. And the pattern seems to start again. So have a look at the trumpets briefly now. We get four earthly or natural things. The first trumpet sounds, hail and fire comes down. Second, a mountain is thrown into the sea. The third, a great star falls on the third of the rivers and uh, turns them bitter. Uh, the fourth, the third of the sun was struck and a third of the light goes out from the sky. We get the fifth, which seems seems to follow in the, the cosmic sense of things that these things are happening to earth, but it seems to have a, a bigger image here uh, that a star which falls from the sky to the earth because this star isn't just any normal star, but the star is given a key and it acts on the earth. And many, many people have spent many, many uh, thousands of words and thousands of years trying to figure out what this star is. Is it a demon? Is it an angel? Uh, it's un unidentified here and it's probably... Uh, worth leaving it as such but it opens the abyss and there is torment that follows again similar to the fifth seal there it is a peak behind the cosmic curtain we get the sixth angelic beings horses riders death ultimately again the horses red dark blue yellow as sulfur the heads of the horses resemble heads of lions. Out of their mouths come fire, smoke, and sulfur. In verse 17, this is terrifying. It is scary. But ultimately, what comes out of it is death. And then we get another pause before the seventh trumpet in 11.15. The seventh angel sounds his trumpet there are loud voices in heaven which say, the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and his Messiah, and he will reign forever. Again, it is another picture of the end. So then how do we make sense of all of this? This barrage of imagery, this barrage of things that are happening on the world seem to be, um, to our eyes, to our minds, a little bit similar to that a brief glimpse of SpongeBob that I got on the plane. What is going on here? Well, I think there's a few things to note here. One is that these sevens 
the seven seals, the seven trumpets, the four horsemen, they're not specifically about one area of history. And for the ancient people in the ancient world, they would have understood that this isn't just uh, a specific prophecy about Nero or about uh, Vespasian coming or Titus coming to destroy Jerusalem. But this is about cycles and patterns of history. These are the things that happen throughout history, not just once, not just twice, but over and over again. Death, war, conquest, famine. These are the things that we understand, that we know. These are the, this is the reality of our world that happens over and over again. I want to say that there are, it's a pattern, but it's not a plan. This isn't just a plan that is unfolding that we can uh, figure out where we are on a roadmap, but it is a pattern of things which happen over and over again. They are portents. They are signs of things to come, but it's not precision. We can't uh, translate the various horsemen uh, into specific uh, detailed imagery. We can't say that the, uh, the breastplates of the, of the horses in uh, Revelation 9 and the, the, the power of the horses and their tails being like snakes uh, correspond, say, to Apache helicopters, which is one interpretation of it. These are repeated patterns which cover the same territory over and over again. And also these seals, the seals themselves aren't the contents of the scroll. Rather, we'll get to the contents of the scroll next week when John uh, looks and unpacks that for us. But these are the seals which authenticate the scroll. They tell us, and the pattern of our world should tell us that there is a bigger picture at hand, that there is a bigger narrative which all of this falls into. So the, the seals and the trumpets cover the same territory. They, they show us the repeated nature of our world. They look at different aspects of it, from human to the church to uh, the cosmic uh, powers that, the, that, are wreaking, that wreak havoc and wreak uh, the various different things that occur on our earth. It's not linear history, that A to B to C to D, but it is cyclical. It goes over the same things over and over again. Indeed, for John, in writing this vision, Jesus' death was the beginning of the end. But Revelation is not a vision of the end. It is a vision of all the things that happen up to the end. The end is not a brief moment in time. It is time itself. And so we should expect things like famine, death, pestilence, disasters to occur. But what does that mean for us then? How do we seek to make sense of it all? And I think sometimes we end up in that moment which I was in, in that plane or for that matter, which we end up when we're faced with a complex world. We struggle to make sense of what is going on. It is, is it any surprise in a complex world that we live in where things are so interrelated that we struggle to figure out how different aspects of our world, how different aspects of our society, how different aspects of our culture relate to one another. I think we can see that actually in the stories that we tell. 
uh, as our culture gets more complex, as our societies get more uh, in, intertwined, and as the, the apparent threats to our lives, to our livelihoods, get even greater, we seem to tell more and more complex stories with more and more superheroes to uh, fight the complexity. Because we are faced with powerful, um, powerful enemies, powerful um, systems at work, we need powerful heroes to be able to disrupt them. We need the epic adventures of Tolkien. We need the massively intertwined worlds of the MCU, the Marvel Cinematic Universe. We struggle to make sense of it all. But I think too, the way that we end up trying to make sense of it all often actually leads to unhelpful ways of trying to make sense of it all. Our human efforts lead to wild theories, wild conspiracies, a bit like Mulder uh, from the X-Files. We cry out to a world which we can't understand and say, I want to believe. I want to believe in anything which helps us make sense of it all. We're cognitively limited. We know that. We, in, and so instead, we uh, build theories, we build narratives which uh, aid our cognitive limitations by explaining away a lot of the complexity. We need enlightenment, and so we chase after it in any way that we can. And so we end up with our, our siloed echo chambers on social media. We end up with listening to QAnon or 5G conspiracy theories that coronavirus is caused by Telstra. We cry out to say, I want to believe. And I, I think actually as Christians, this is something that is especially pernicious for us, especially dangerous. Because as people who are given a peek behind the cosmic curtain, we, are, we understand that there is something more to this world. We know that there is a bigger narrative at hand. But our desire, our heart's desire, is to control that for ourselves, to understand it for ourselves. And so we buy into conspiracy theories that tell us that there is a greater world order, that the Illuminati are watching over us, that the eye is upon us. And the keys to these conspiracy theories, the key to the narratives that we tell, well, they tell us that we need to do the work ourselves, that we need to usurp things, that we need to change things. We need to alter the order of things. And let me say, there is an element of truth in that. But if we do that on our own, it becomes especially dangerous. Because ultimately, we need a key that is outside of ourselves. Just as in the vision of John, of the seals being opened, and then the command for the trumpets to be sounded, it is not John who is doing that. It is the Lamb. If we rewind back to the start of, um, of Revelation 6, we see as the Lamb opens the first of the seven seals, he is the one who is given authority to open the seals. He is the one who is declared worthy by the angels. He is the divine key for that cosmic lock 
the seals that need to be broken, such that the scroll may be unfurled. Like the Son of Man in Daniel 7, he is the one who comes in from left of stage to explain what is happening, to uh, change the world order of things, to bring about God's righteousness in the world, to bring things to rights. He is like Aslan returning to Narnia to return all things to rights. And so the things which we see in our world as being so powerful, the things that we see as being so threatening, are actually appointed for their tasks by the Lamb. If you note here in the seals, and we'll use the seals as an example, the four horsemen, they don't have authority on their own. They're rather, they're given things. Uh, 6 2, uh, its rider on the white horse was given, he held a bow and he was given a crown. He didn't assert the crown for himself, he's given the crown by the Lamb. The lamb opens a second seal and the second rider set, comes out and its rider was given power to take peace from the earth. This is authority which is given unto these creatures. Similarly, in, with the fifth seal, the martyrs who cry out from under the throne, the martyrs who are so instructive for us as the church, they don't claim the robes, the white robes, which represent their justification by themselves. No, they are given their justification. They call out in a loud voice, how long, sovereign Lord, holy and true, until you judge the inhabitants of the earth and avenge our blood. And in verse 11, then each of them was given a white robe and they were told to wait a little longer. They are given these things. The lamb is the one who in this situation has power and authority and explains the narrative that, it, that is happening here. He is the one who is declared worthy. But our response should be like that of the multitude, like that of the, um, the, those who are the martyrs who are under the, the, the altar in the fifth seal, like the multitude in 7-9, who are before the throne and before the lamb, crying out in a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. We are called to be part of that narrative, but to be part of it to give glory to the Lamb who has the power, who is the one who explains what is going on, who is the one who makes all things right. But note too, we're not just passive observers. This isn't a call to quietism as if the church should be just observing what is going on. No, like Neo in the Matrix, once we take that pill, we have been given a peek behind the cosmic curtain and there's no going back. But instead, our prayers, our interactions have ramifications on the world, but they have ramifications on the world through the Lamb through the one who we cry out to. We have a great mediator in the Lamb who opens the seals, who gives us reassurances, who gives them people reassurances that there will be a time when the prayers are answered. And indeed, uh, we see that in the seventh seal. The angel who is, has a golden censer came and comes and stands at the altar. 
He's given much incense to offer with the prayers of all God's people and the smoke, the, the smoke of the incense together with the prayers goes up before God and then comes down upon the earth. There are cosmic ramifications to the prayers that we pray. This isn't a call to quietism, to call to be silent Christians in the world. No, it is a call to be loud, to be crying out for God to bring things to right, to do his justice on this world. But to be doing that through the Lamb, through Christ, who is our mediator for us, who is the key, the cosmic key for this narrative. Uh, T.F. Torrance very powerfully writes about this. And he says, what are the real master powers behind the world? What are the deeper secrets of our destiny? Here is the astonishing answer. It is the prayer of the saints and the fire of God. That means the more potent, more powerful than all the dark and mighty powers let loose on the world, more powerful than anything else is the power of prayer set ablaze by the fire of God and cast upon the earth. Brothers and sisters, we have been given a peek behind that curtain. So what should we do about it? Well, we should listen to the one who has written a narrative, who unlocks that narrative for us. And we should be praying that that narrative is brought about. I'm going to give you a few moments now uh, to consider uh, what, it, what narrative is, what the story is that we tell our, ourselves about this world. When are we tempted to uh, make up our own stories? Uh, when are we tempted to um, try and figure out what is happening uh, and then figure out in a way which is contrary to the narrative that we have seen? I'll give you a few moments and then we'll be uh, joining for questions uh, afterwards. Please flick your questions through to me. I think Pete's put my number up on the chat. All right, we've got some great questions coming in. Uh, one of the questions uh, has come in is, um, uh, let me just read it out. Um, are the destructive forces of the seals evidence of God's judgment? And I think yes, but not in the very specific sense of here is a uh, sin or here is a uh, an event that requires judgment they are a big picture uh, of the judgment that has been has come upon the world because of the sin of the people uh, we actually see this uh, in the old testament as well that um, in so in the book of daniel you get the apocalyptic visions of um of, of the 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 great sea monsters the um the beasts, sorry, I was trying to remember what the word I was using, uh, the beasts coming out of the ocean. And uh, these seem to be related to, to many of the kingdoms which God is using to bring judgment upon the earth. Uh, we, we see it in other, other places where uh, in the Psalms, uh, the, the earth is judged and, and there is judgment upon it because of the sin of the people and, and the, the earth cries out. But it is not specific. There, in some cases, it is very specific sin. Uh, so Ahab... Um, Sorry, Ahaz has uh, a, a famine which is, comes upon Israel and is a very specific famine. Um, Jesus seems to give a portend of uh, the destruction of Jerusalem in 70. Uh, so there are instances where it is very specific. But I think in Revelation, it is a, it is a 
picture of judgment that is ongoing and continuous and far more general. And we see actually part of that uh, in not so much in the seals, but in the trumpets. And uh, so towards the end of the trumpets, uh, we see that um, in this is in nine, ten, nine, sorry, chapter nine, verse 20, the rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues did not repent of the work of their hands. They did not stop worshiping demons and idols of gold, silver, silver bronze, stone and wood. Uh, they did not repent of their murders, their magic arts, their sexual immorality or their thefts. Uh, this is a picture of generalized judgment upon people who are wayward. And it is worth noting as well that the judgment here is not judgment for, is not just a punishment for sin, uh, but it is a way of trying to bring people back to God. Uh, and and the, another question is, um, I'll, I'll read it out. Uh, people make up very complex theories about how to understand and fix society, yet the answer is so simple. Have you seen examples where the simple Christian message is used powerfully against what is often complex babble? And I think this is, this is one of the areas that it happens all the time, uh, but it happens quite often in ways that we don't necessarily uh, promote, the ways that we don't see on, uh, on the big screen, if you like. Uh, often the ways that this is used is in ongoing gentle conversation over long periods of time between peers and friends, uh, people constantly and continuously presenting the message of Christ in a faithful way, often over years, uh, decades even, uh, to people who have warped or have um, bought into other narratives uh, which control that. One of the, um, one of the very heartening uh, one, pictures of that is a picture of um, an American boogie-woogie piano player who goes out of his way to befriend uh, members of the KKK, uh, the Ku Klux Klan. Uh, and he uh, continually presents the gospel. He, he doesn't say it in, in these words, he's not a minister, but he, and he, he talks about Jesus and about what Jesus really means uh, and not being a white supremacist, but about being, uh, demonstrating love and forgiveness and mercy to people and does that over and over again, over many decades. Uh, we see the same thing uh, as people come out of cults. We do see it a little bit in the bigger picture. Uh, certainly C.S. Lewis uh, in some of his radio shows during the Second World War, uh, he presented the gospel over and over again in ways that people could understand it and also understand it in ways that went contrary to the way that uh, some in the, in the second who were put, who were trying to explain the Second World War in, in various conspiracy forms. Um, but I think, yeah, it, the big part of that is just constant, ongoing, good gospel presentation, uh, which points people back to Jesus as the Lamb, as the one who is authorised to open the seals. That can happen on the big, scale, big picture um, and, and in, in large scale across society. But actually, I think it often happens the best interpersonally in small groups. One-to-one uh, -one in DNAs, missional communities, sermons on Sunday over years and decades 